Many of us believe that reading the Bible in chronological order is extremely important. But if that's true, why aren't our Bibles arranged that way? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran, and welcome to Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. I'll be answering that question in our lesson today. And our topic for today is why our Bibles aren't in chronological historical order and why it matters. As a quick review before we begin, this lesson is part of a three-part series. And I hope that you have a chance to go through all of the parts. The three lessons in this series are, I started out with nine benefits of reading your Bible in chronological historical order. Then I talked about why people probably don't do that. And now I'm going to talk about why they aren't in chronological historical order in the first place and why it matters. So back to our question, why aren't they in chronological order? Well, the short answer is very simple. It's because they've always been arranged approximately the same way as the order that they are in our Bibles for literally thousands of years. First, that is approximately the same order they were in and that they are in in the Hebrew Bible. Next, that's the order that they were in in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible made during the mid-200s BC. Three, it's also the same order that Jerome put them in when he made his translation into what was called the Latin Vulgate. Now, we sometimes think of that as some big fancy scholarly translation, but it wasn't. Vulgate means common. He made that around 400 AD, and actually it was a very popular, easy to read, and widely accepted translation. Most people spoke Latin at that time, so he was translating it into the language everybody spoke. The Vulgate was used either as a source or reference to many Bible translations that followed, including Luther's translation into German and Wycliffe's translation into English. And the thing that's important here is they all, they all kept Jerome's order of the books, which again is very similar to how our Bibles are organized today. But that simple answer of it's always been done that way doesn't explain why it's an issue for us now. But before we get into that, we need to understand the order that they're in, what it actually is, and why it's beneficial, why it's been around for so long. Instead of chronological historical order, the books of the Bible are arranged by type or genre. That's how your Bible is now. Now let's define genre. Genre means a type of art, literature, or music characterized by a specific form, content, and style. For example, literature has four main genres, poetry, drama, fiction, and nonfiction. All of these genres have particular features and functions that distinguish them from one another. Hence, it is necessary on the part of readers to know which category of genre they are reading in order to understand the message it conveys. This definition comes from the website Literary Devices, and it was really the best and the most complete one that I could find. But again, re let me uh, reread that one part of the definition that's really important. It's necessary on the part of readers to know which category or genre they are reading in order to understand the message it conveys. 
Understanding genre is extremely important and knowing what genre a book of the Bible falls within is necessary to interpret the book. And I would assume that when they organized the Bible early on, they did this to actually help readers. For example, you don't read a book of history such as Acts in the same way you read a book of prophecy such as Revelation. Now, how are the different genres organized in the Bible? Here's how it goes. In the Old Testament, the organization of the genres is into history, poetry, and prophecy. History, we have Genesis through Esther. Poetry, we have Job through Psalms to the Song of Solomon. And then prophecy, we have the major and the minor prophets. In the New Testament, it's very similar. Again, remember, Jerome just followed along with what they'd done in the Old Testament. And he was the first one to really organize the New Testament all in the order that we have it in today. It's organized in history, letters, and prophecy. History, the Gospels and Acts. Letters, first we have the letters of Paul, then the others such as Peter, James, and John. And then finally, prophecy, we have the book of Revelation. Now we're going to look at very specific examples of genre and how to interpret the, very one, the various ones when I go through the Bible in the coming year. I'll be referring to, and I highly recommend the book, How to Read Your Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. It's one of the best commentaries out there, and it's very readable. It's a, a layperson's, uh, it's written for the layperson on genre organization. Let me read you a quote that they have in their introduction. They say, we affirm that there is a real difference between a psalm on the one hand and an epistle on the other. Our concern is to help the reader to read and study the psalms as poems and the epistles as letters. We hope to show that these differences are vital and should affect both the way one reads them and how one is to understand their message for today. But this understanding of genre, as important as it is, I do not believe is enough for readers today because, unlike past readers, we don't know the underlying history of the content of the Bible. This, I, I just, as I studied it, I can't emphasize how important this is. You see, we live in a post-Christian world, and in many ways, it's a post-biblical world. In the world of the Old Testament, and much of the recorded history of the Western world, including Europe and the Americas, the Bible, the scriptures with the Old Testament and then later when the New Testament was added, that was the basis of culture, of education. It was the reference point of art and music. If you were an educated person, you knew the Bible inside out, upside down, really well first. That was the reference point. Every religious or educated person knew the history, the facts, the main characters that were in the scriptures. If you read a psalm that included the line, quote, of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, you knew the story he was referring to. If you saw a painting titled Lydia of Thyatira, you would know what that was all about. If you heard the Messiah sung, you would know where the passages could be found in the Bible and the context of them.
It's not like that today. People have no idea of the history underlying the content or the genre organization. Now, let me give you an example of, of what this means. Here's what happens if you don't know the history. Let me give you an example. Imagine two to 3,000 years from now. And that's the time from the writing of the Old and the New Testaments until now. But imagine two, three thousand years from now, reading a book about the 20th century that was organized like this. In the first part of the book about the 20th century, you'd have a retelling of events that took place. For example, I'll just pick out a few. The Great Depression, World War II, and the Civil Rights Movement. Next in the book, you'd have chapters quoting the poetry, the philosophy, and you'd have some romance stories of the times. Finally, at the end of the book would be famous speeches of the times, but they wouldn't necessarily be in order. There would be a speech by a gentleman named Churchill on the occasion of Dunkirk, whatever that was. Then there would be a speech by someone that they called FDR, and he said something about only fearing fear itself. And finally, there would be one from a preacher named Martin Luther King about a dream he had. So you had these events, then you had the poetry and romance stories and philosophy, and then you had these speeches. But none of them were really tied together and you didn't know exactly what fit in, when or where or whatever. How well would you know or understand the 20th century if you read about it in that way? How much sense would the speeches make if you couldn't match them with the history that produced them? And that's what happens when most people read the Bible today. It's no wonder no one pays attention to the power and purpose of the Old Testament prophets when their words are divorced from the current events that prompted them. But when you read them in context and understand the current history when they spoke, they become alive in the same way that it does when you understand why Martin Luther King stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial before a quarter of a million people. You understand the tension and the terror that it was to be a black person during that time at what and what it meant to hear him say I have a dream I'd like the Bible to come alive for you in the same way I want you to see the world that prompted Amos to shout, let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream I want you to understand the broken heart of Hosea when he says to Israel with the voice of God, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely and understand what prompted that. I want you to understand why in the midst of his world being at war with one superpower declining and another one that was equally evil rushing in, Habakkuk could say, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to tread on the heights. After reading in chronological order, you will understand the context of these passages.
there are also some very serious implications of not knowing the historical setting of biblical content. And it's much more than simply not knowing when a particular character lived or what they did, not even not appreciating the power or the context for really powerful speeches. For many people, not knowing the historical context, and now listen carefully because this is really important, it removes the content of the Bible away from historical tangible truth from real events being the basis for what the Bible teaches into a category of just what feels good to me, what in it answers my needs. The commands in the Bible become not much different than fortune cookie advice. Tasty at times, maybe, but easy to ignore if we don't like what it says. I don't think any of us intend for that to happen, but we can't help it if the Bible is primarily a book of optional advice to us and not the written revelation of God. Reading the Bible in chronological order will help you put the Bible in its proper place. Please see the presentation that I did on the nine benefits of reading the Bible in chronological order for a much more in-depth discussion of this topic. Here is what Bible 805 has for you to help you read the Bible in chronological order. Beyond this series of lessons, I have another series of podcasts, videos, and lessons that will give you a foundation for trusting the Bible, starting out with what is truth and how history helps us determine biblical truth. Then I have a series of podcasts, videos, and lessons on how we got our Bible. And in 2021, I'm going to be doing again a series of podcasts, videos, and lessons that will go through the entire Bible in a year. Additional ones will be added periodically, such as the recent one that I did on the truth about trials. Along with the lessons are reading plans each day that you, where you will read a passage in chronological historical order, plus either a psalm or a proverb. And by the way, I have um, a podcast and video on why I put them in the order that I did. This will be um, my order of things is a little bit different than anything else you'll see anywhere else but I did that after a tremendous amount of historical study and, and all kinds of things and I do explain to you why I did them the way that I did them. I think um, I think it's going to be really really good <laughs> but anyway um, moving ahead and then I also did some blank journal pages for you to record impressions and applications. I think these are are just extremely important. All of the above content and all of the resources for it are all on um, Bible805.com. Look at Bible805.com, uh, www.Bible805.com as the hub for the different resources. Uh, some are free, some have a modest cost, but this is how you can get to all of them. Let me just, um, before I close out, a few application cautions on what I'm talking about. A lot of people today, in, instead of reading their Bible, read devotional books. And they can be useful. I know I, I, I wrote one, um, Devotions for Church Communicators. I wrote it initially a number of years ago, and I've, I've recently updated it. However, I also know from writing one that they tend to have one focus 
and they're very selective in how they pick out and interpret scriptures. I tried very, very hard not to um, put in applications or implications or commentary that was not supported by the verses that I used, but that's tough. And I'm certainly not infallible on that. And so I, I would encourage you, though, to just be very, very cautious about this and never let a devotional book replace your Bible reading. They are never a substitute for that. Now, one that's one thing that's especially important on application here for parents, grandparents, and those who care about children or, or who are involved in children in any way, instead of or in addition to any kind of a devotional for children, and again, I know there's some lovely ones out there, but I cannot, cannot, cannot recommend this enough that you read them the Children's Story Bible by Catherine Voss. This book is over 70 years old and it is still absolutely wonderful. It really mirrors the complete Bible story in chronological order. And it is an excellent foundation for a life of a true view of the Bible. I personally know the value of it. That's what our mother read to my sister and I every night before bed. and. I didn't even realize it till recently how that played such an important part in so convincing me of the importance of the history of the whole Bible. I grew up knowing it. I can't imagine not knowing it. And so when things happened like um, one time a number of years ago, my husband and I were, we had actually had a rather large singles ministry. And in this pretty good sized group, this is when we were first just starting it, we, I'd say there was probably 40 people anyway um uh i just decided i don't know what made me want to do this but anyway we were all sitting in this giant circle and i said let's go around and everybody just very quickly mention uh share your favorite bible character and i was absolutely astounded and these were people that you know had been coming to church for a while and i the majority of them at that time were believers and probably three quarters of them said uh no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have one. Or, uh, you know, I, you know, I can't say that I've read the Bible enough to pick somebody out. And I realized at that time that many people, even if they've trusted Jesus as Savior, don't have a grasp of the whole Bible. Um, we're going to be doing that in Bible 805, but this Bible, children's story Bible is a great thing to share with younger children, and it's also really useful for adults to read also. So um, get it for the kids in your life, but you know, read it first. For all of us though now, join me in an extraordinary adventure of getting to know God's Word more deeply than ever. Commit to reading through the Bible in chronological, historical order in the coming year. I'll be doing it every day, every week with you. I have done it for decades, but I love starting over again each year and always learn so much. It's an adventure that might not be safe, as it might shake up and transform every part of our lives. But it will be good. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson, related resources, and helpful links at www.bible805.com. 
If the podcast has been useful to you, please consider supporting it through your donations and prayers. For links on how to do that, again, check out www.bible805.com. And I thank you so much in advance for your very needed support. I'm Yvonne Prand, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.